I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The volcano under Yosemite, is that where Jesus is? Volcano under Yosemite. He's living in the volcano? Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Manic Rambling Spiral. I am Heather B. Armstrong. And I am John R. Bray. Over the weekend, I uh, attended a funeral. So today's episode is going to be incredibly bright and cheery as we ponder death. Yes, we'll um, spin some optimism into it. I attended a funeral. I, I didn't know the, the deceased personally. It was a friend of a friend who needed some support. What got me thinking about this is I've been to a few Mormon funerals and, you know, they they do a service in the chapel and normally like two family members and friends will get up and say some kind words about who has passed and do some songs and prayers and whatnot. But this was a, it was a Greek service and I've never been to a Greek funeral. Oh, wow. Have I you? haven't either. No. Yeah. It was uh, mostly in Greek, where there was a lot of singing in Greek. The pastor, or I don't know what they call it in the Greek Orthodox Church, I don't know what they call it, the pastor, the priest, said a few words, but no one got up and talked about who he was and what he meant to the community. He was he was extraordinarily important to the community. Like In his obituary in the paper, you know, the governor said something, the mayor said something, he was a very well-known real estate developer who, a very generous one. But no one said anything at the funeral. No one said anything. Not, yeah. Is that normal? I mean, did you I, ask? I mean, is that just part of the apparently, Greek Apparently, like, the Greeks, it's a Greek, like the, it's a very traditional Greek service, like straight out of the book. Wow. And um, and then it was over. And then we went to the grave site. No one said anything there. The pallbearers, you know, came over and placed their boutonnieres on top of the casket. And then there was drinks and food after at a club. But there wasn't ever like a an official like, this is who he was and this is what he meant. And then we realized like, oh, I don't have, <laughs> he was only 53 years old and wow. left behind four children. And it got me thinking, I mean, I have a trust and I have instructions as to what my trust and, you know, my net worth. <laughs> the important stuff. I'm glad I checked my bank account right before recording. Oh, my God. But I have a trust where, like, everything that I own and everything that I is in my possession goes into the trust and is meted out to the children at a certain age. But I don't have anything written down that would indicate what people should do in in terms of my funeral and sh where where sh where I should be buried or if I should be buried or if I should be cremated or you know it got me thinking about maybe I should sit down and hammer out some of those details do you a, have a a will well i think it's a really great idea i do not 
but I see the value in it. It's such a weird thing to think about, to sit down and think about, well, let's plan what's going to happen when I die. I mean, it's got to be weird to do it at any age, but I feel like if I was, you know, 85, it would feel kind of like part of the process. But at 33, although I totally get it, it just, it feels weird. It feels really weird. But at the same time, like I, I don't want to, I don't want my service to be in a Mormon church. I don't. I don't want anybody saying a Mormon prayer over over my body. Do you think that would happen if you didn't have yes, it specified? Okay. Absol- absolutely, okay. it would. Ab- it would. It would happen in a, they would do it in a Mormon chapel, and then they would ho- hold like, you know, drinks and, drinks meaning Sprite and punch, and, you know, little finger sandwiches in the cultural hall is what they call it, the gymnasium at the at the church. And then I would probably be buried in some place here in Utah, and... It got me thinking, like, I, there are specific Mormon hymns that I really, that mean a lot to me because they were such a part of my childhood. The ones that aren't propaganda and the ones that don't deify Joseph Smith. Sorry, I'm not bashing Mormonism, but this is, this is my funeral. Right. I mean, it's from your perspective. <laughs> I will die so like I want to. Entitled to that, yeah. <laughs> and I think I want to be cremated. And I think I want my ashes poured into the, the Mississippi River. <laughs> like These are things that were going through my head. Like, this is kind of what I want. Or what do I want? I don't know. But I for sure, I for sure don't want certain people sit, sitting there next to a coffin. You know, there's... <laughs> certain people? Well, I mean, it's not a, it's not like a set in stone. Like, you could... You could establish a living will today and decide you want to be cremated and have your ashes, you know, dumped into the Mississippi. But then five years from now, you could change that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't know. So I was, well, as I was thinking about it, because I thought about it for the rest of the day and then all of the day after, it just got me really thinking about, I have never lost anybody close to me. And most everyone I know has gone through a whole, like a, has lost someone very, very close to them and has lived through that grief and pain and sorrow. And I have not. I was doing this thing with this person answering some questions to get to know each other. And one of the questions was, whose death would affect you the most right now? Oh my God. And- was this just like a casual <laughs> setting? What the hell kind of questions are these? <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my God. And I realized like there like when my mother dies, my entire world will there will be an, a tectonic shift. I want to be able to speak about her at her funeral. Like that's something that I selfishly want as as her daughter. Right. And when I thought about that, I thought I don't want to take if like I I don't I wouldn't want to take that away from my children. So I don't, like, there's certain things where it's like, well, if my children want to speak and my children want to sing, like, I need to make, you know, inclusions for that. Because what would I want to do for someone very close to me when they passed? Right. But that's an, that's an incredibly intense question. That's like saying, who do you love the most? <laughs> like, Well, is it? Yeah. I mean, it is because you can't, like, there, there will be a major shift in your life when your when your mother dies and i think about it from my perspective like losing my father would be 
an incredible shift in my life that I can't even fathom. But, you know, to lose a child would be right. the same shift. I mean, it, w- it would be of similar magnitude, but just in a different way. So it's so hard to say what would have, I don't know, that's just, that's a pretty intense question. I mean, as a, we were we were both parents, and I was like, okay, let's exclude. Of course, we the, you know, losing a child would be almost something that you can't recover from. So let's take the child, the children out of the equation. Children, you're you're not allowed to say children. So who in your life, uh, whose okay. death would affect you the most? Okay, well and, that helps. I mean, like by by far, like by far, my my if my my mother died, it would be the 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 worst thing to ever happen to me. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. And I, I talked to her about this actually afterward, and she said that she definitely wants um, all three of us, me and my sister and my brother, to speak, and for there to be a lot of music and, um, you know. Like at my funeral, I want there to be a whole spread of, of Mexican food, chips and salsa, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and burritos. Oh, and, man queso and like i want people to and i want there i just want it to be a party where people having a really good time like radiohead and arcade fire just playing in the background oh, that's what it, well that, that, was, that was the other thing that i was going to do is i was going to put together a funeral spotify list <laughs> <laughs> like this is the playlist that you will play at my funeral as you guys are eating and remembering me and enjoying yourselves and talking about the good times that's this is this is the music you'll listen to. <laughs> it's it's weird because if we had talked about this several years ago, it would have seemed like a really strange concept. But since two thousand, I don't even know fourteen, I think I I lost an aunt and an uncle, both of them to cancer. Um, but like two years apart, I think it was fourteen and sixteen is is when they when they passed. But they both knew that they were terminally ill. So they both planned absolutely every single detail, like every song, the food, they made slideshows, they prepared statements. I mean, absolutely everything was done. Wow. To the, to the point where it was almost comical because it was, it was very indicative of my aunt. Like she was always a planner and an organizer and literally every single detail was huh. done. Which is kind of strange to think about, but at the same time, like, I guess that's a way to, in, in that particular position, to really process the reality of right. your life. To process the reality that you're, you're, you know, facing, you're facing this. Right. And then you, then you don't put that burden, not that it's a burden, but you don't put that responsibility on anybody else. And you have a say, like right through to the very last moment. Yeah. <sighs> but it's it's so strange to think about and it shouldn't even be bad to think about it's just weird to think about i mean maybe it this is. is a stupid question but would i mean your your mom's funeral would be mormon yes would you be allowed to speak i don't yes. know how any of that works okay yeah i would absolutely be allowed to speak because, i mean it wouldn't take place in the temple if it, if she were, i don't think they don't do anything for funerals in the, in the temple um, it would just be in a regular church, and anybody can speak there. Okay, so the temple is um, the only place where there are those kind of restrictions, right? I okay. I can't go to like my niece is my niece got married 
back in August and I couldn't go in. Uh, my other niece is getting married in January and I can't be there. I can't be in the ceremony. Because it's at the temple. But if they had it at a church, then you'd be fine. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of, where was I? Who, I don't, the, so, so my grandmother died in 2009, a couple of months after Marla was born. But we knew she was she was on her way out. So losing her was, it was significant. And the funeral, there were so many people at the funeral, even though she spent most of her life in Kentucky. She spent the last 10 years of her life in my mother's home. My mother took care of her for the last 10 years of her life. Oh, wow. Well, my stepfather took care of my grandmother for the last 10 years of her life. Jeez. It was a very Mormon funeral. In fact, the one of the Mormons who knocked on my grandmother's door when my mother was 14 years old. One of the Mormons who converted my grandmother spoke at her funeral and looked out into the congregation at the hundreds of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren who were all Mormon because he had knocked on her door. That's pretty intense. It's Yeah, it was really intense. But I didn't wow. feel, I didn't feel tragedy. I didn't feel um, grief because we had processed that as she was dying, and she died over a long period of time. And so, John Armstrong used to work. Uh, he used to be the web designer for Forest Lawn Mortuary in Glendale, California. <laughs> Did you know this? A web designer for a mortuary. Yeah, that was his for like, full time. Yeah. Wow. I did he not does, know that. He was design. He was designing their casket pricing pages. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Well, I guess someone has to. That's yeah. Those things are expensive. Oh, I'm I'm thinking about Six Feet Under. That's what I'm thinking about. Did you ever watch that the show? I have not. No, I know of it, um, but I've never seen it. Okay, that's definitely a show that holds up. Yeah. I want to go back and rewatch it, but I remember scenes. It's, you know, it's about a, a family that owns a mortuary. And I remember scenes where, you know, they're walking around looking at the different caskets. And it's like, good God, the expense of putting a dead body into a beautiful, gorgeous box and then just sticking it in the ground. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh-huh. I I don't know the, like any of the history behind that or the significance, but... It's kind of absurd. Like, mm-hmm. it's an insane amount of money for something that you see for two hours. And I, I don't know. I'm not trying to sound cold. It just seems unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to know what kind of box you put me in. Like, I, <laughs> I know. I don't, I don't know. Because the prices are absolutely ridiculous oh five seven ten thousand yep yeah i just i don't know what you gain from having you know the ten thousand dollar box versus the five thousand dollar box it's how you how you want to go it's how you want to roll when you're dead i guess well i think too i mean i i've never had to go through that process of of picking one out thankfully but there's got to be this element of you care so much about the person that you're going to get them the best possible things you can like, you know, if you're faced with the $5,000 option and the $10,000 option and you can swing it, you're going to do it. 
because, you know, you loved them. That's the only thing I can think of. And I'm not saying I would be any different when faced with that. It just, I don't know, it just seems unnecessary. It just, it's not a practical investment. No. And I thought about, you know, being cremated and having my ashes scattered. I, I want to be able to go to some something physical that represents my mo- like my mother or or my stepfather or my father or like someone close to me. I want to be able to go to something that physically has memorialized them and whether that be a, a grave site, a headstone, my my friend's fiance who uh, killed himself in 2013, a friend arranged for all of us to pitch in and we bought a tree that sits next to this outdoor concert arena that they used to go to all the time. And the tree sits right next to where they would sit for each concert. Oh, wow. And there's a plaque on the tree. And so there's this tree that has memorialized him and she can go there and she can remember him there. I definitely want to be able to go do that for someone that I am close to. And I'm thinking about my children, like they're going to, they're probably going to want something. They're probably going to want the same thing for me. So I don't know. You have to think about that too. Like, what do I want to memorialize? Me? <laughs> right. It seems like a really vain pursuit, except that I think the death part of it sort of cancels out the vanity. I guess it is a vain pursuit, but it's done you're not really doing it for you. Right. I mean, you're, you're trying to imagine, I guess maybe that's the vain part that you're assuming they're going to want a thing, but they, they will. <laughs> I, assume, like, I assume that they are going to want to <laughs> remember me. Right. I mean, so that's not really vain. I think it, but I think if you, if you take the idea of, you know, scattering your ashes in the Mississippi, then that is a thing, you know, they can go to that place. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it's not something where they live, you know, that's 10 minutes away, but it's, it's definitely, it provides that, that same significance, I think. Yeah. And they could go to anywhere in the Mississippi. If you had your ashes scattered way north, then theoretically <laughs> they could just go anywhere <laughs> south of that and they'd be good. So Chuck is probably the closest thing that I have experienced in terms of death. And that was very um, significant in your life. That was extraordinarily significant. Yeah. I I don't know if I've ever talked about this. Have I ever talked about this? I don't think we, we've ever gotten into detail on it. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a, a post about how he he I he and I had a conversation and he was routine he was get, he was waking up in his feces every morning, covered in his feces every morning. And throughout the day he was pooping on himself and peeing on himself all day long. Even though he was he still had a lilt in his step. He was basically living in a toilet. I would come home and I would have no idea what I would find. And it was hard for him to climb stairs. He was losing basically all of the nerve feeling in the backside of his body. And he and I had a conversation one night. I know that sounds stupid, but we did. And he basically let me know that I needed to let him go. And I called, um, I found a vet who actually comes to your home and does the euthanization in is it euthanization euthanize yeah yeah i think so in your in in your home so i was holding him when they gave him the shot and he died in my arms and i had no idea 
what was going to happen. I had no, I just wasn't prepared for the amount of emotion that came over me. And it was quick and swift and involuntary. In that moment, you're saying? Yeah, in that moment when it happened, when he went limp, like I was overcome. And thankfully, I had called a friend. I called my friend Ivy about two hours beforehand because I thought I was going to do it alone. And I called her and I said, "I, I can't do this alone. Can you please come and just sit in the room with me? And so she, she was actually, she actually took a whole bunch of pictures of me sitting there crying, holding him in my arms. And then I carried him, I carried his body down to the vet's van and put him in the back of the van. My decision was to have him cremated. Uh, about a week later, I was out at a business meeting and I had to rush home to take a, a business call, like, like a huge, huge paying gig was uh, going to call me in about 10 minutes, and I've got like 10 minutes to get home. So I rushed to come home from this business lunch, and as I'm pulling into the driveway, I see this package on my doorstep. So I've got like five minutes before I have to get on this huge call, and I run to the doorstep like, what is this? Did somebody leave me like a present for Chuck? Because it had like a paw print on the side of it, right. like a pink bag with a paw print on it. I pick it up, and inside of it was a wooden box, and it just hit me like a like somebody had taken a brick and smashed it into my head because I realized what it was right right before your call right before my call yeah. and I and the in the reaction then too was swift and involuntary and I actually like like and it was it wasn't me being dramatic it was I I've never experienced sorrow like this before and I like collapsed to the floor to my knees because I was like oh my god he's in this box and I called my mom I had like two minutes to go and I called my mom and I'm like what do I do what do I do what do I do and she's like just calm down pull it together get your call over and then just go in your room and cry that's what I did (laughs) yeah so you still had the call I still had the call. I still got the gig. And then I just, I I sat there and looked at the box for about an hour. I think that's one of those things that's really challenging about death and it's different in every situation. But for you, I mean, you had to, you, you experienced Chuck in life, like as a, as a healthy dog. And then you had to experience his decline. And then you had to experience him being euthanized and like, and his limp body. And then you had to experience him again as a box. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to stack all of those things on top of each other, even in, in any situation, whether it's a pet or a person, whatever the case may be. But you know, you, I mean, I, my aunt and uncle, I knew them as young and healthy and happy and it was great. And then I watched them both get diagnosed and I watched them both go through treatment in that stage of their life and remission for a while and then back into treatment and then the gradual decline. And it's, I think it's really hard for the brain and the heart to combine all of those pieces into that one Mm -hmm. person because they don't all fit and they don't fit together because they can't. Because they can't. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to equate the box to healthy Chuck. Like, that doesn't compute. One of my friends, one of my dear friends, lost her mother uh, to, to breast cancer a few years ago. Many years, probably like 10 years ago. Like three years afterward, she was still 
in the grieving process and she said that somebody had said to her like it's been three years what's the what's why are you still reacting this way and she was very wise to say you know no one gets to dictate your grieving process no one gets to say to you you don't get to grieve this anymore you you may never get over it <laughs> and that's okay right. grief is spontaneous and uncontrollable it is but i think socially we have these ideas that something bad happens you react with sadness and then you know at x time you move on like that's the supposed to be the normal the normal progression which is absurd i mean it's absolutely ridiculous i mean there's people that go through things like like a death that don't cry at all until right. 6 months later when you know a particular day passes or there's a holiday or it finally just sets in because life has been busy and all of a sudden the the reality of it hits and then grief starts because it is it is uncontrollable like you're saying i mean it's you don't really choose how you process it i don't think i don't think you can no. and i think that apply i mean even outside of death i mean any any scenario where you feel sadness or grief it's it's not up to you a lot can happen in 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly 3 years in some states learn more at uh1.com ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I think when we were talking about music in one of the episodes, when I broke up with, when I broke up with, uh, my, my telephone is ringing upstairs, uh, and is interrupting this sad story. <laughs> my goddamn time. landline that I can't get rid of because it's a part of my cable package. Oh yeah, I know that. Um, yeah. Uh, it could be my dad. It could be my dad calling me because he won't call my cell phone. Anyway. Uh, when I broke up with Matt, um, I broke up with him and um, we've been together for three years. I broke up with him in March. Yeah, March of 2015. And right, right at that point in my life, a lot was converging all at once. And I commenced a very large amount of travel and business and a lot of things converged and I was able to I don't even know if I was doing it on I, I don't think I was consciously doing it at all but I avoided the uh, grief of losing that in my life until the end of the summer when uh, a certain song would come on or I would hear a certain note and then when the music service that he and I shared playlists on uh, went out of business, that's when it suddenly hit me. And it was like, it was the same, it was almost the same thing as looking down into that bag and seeing that box. And it hit me like, oh my God, I have been, 
avoiding this grief for six or seven months, and now it's finally hitting me. And boy, did it hit me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if that delay makes it hit harder. I mean, it's impossible to know, but but that's a perfect example because you were just so busy. And, and whether it was intentional or not, I mean, maybe in the back of your mind subconsciously, you knew if I process this now, it's going to make the next six months hell because of all mm-hmm. of these things I have going on. So I need to wait. Or, or it just didn't really click until later. And that's a perfect example. And everyone is going to react differently. Yeah. Because the day to day is different. And I think there's, I mean, there's gender stereotypes about how you should and shouldn't react. And it's, it's ridiculous, honestly. It is ridiculous. You just need to deal with grief as you need to deal with grief. And that's that. Yeah. I'm totally a crier. Like, <laughs> funerals, breakup, it doesn't. That is always what happens. And it is uncontrollable. And I have finally just acknowledged that that's kind of part of my humanity and that is what it is. This is the thing. I, in my experience, men cry. Like, I don't know where this stereotype came from where men aren't supposed to cry because the men that I have known are criers, like full on fucking criers. And I say fucking like affectionately. Right. Like criers, crying. It's definitely me. And I am too. Like, I, oh my God, am I a crier? But I, I know people who, like, they go through these intense emotional periods and they can somehow just completely steal themselves. And, and mm-hmm. maybe in some cases, and I, I know in some cases that that's just because they cry in private or they, whatever. I, I can't do that. Like, I, I can't. I wish I could. I would much rather just be able to cry quietly in a corner. I can't do it. I think maybe it's part of their like survival instinct. And you know, I, probably some people think that if they, if they steal themselves and if they don't let them, because if they, if they start to cry, then it all comes undone. Right. Or then they appear mm-hmm. weaker or less confident in the decision or whatever, depending on the situation, right. obviously that could be, I definitely do not have that ability. No, don't show me, don't show me a video of a, of a couple reuniting with their dog that they think they've lost in a fire while I'm trying to, while I'm trying to get some work done. What? Why are you texting me that video? I can't, they can't, they can't see the reunite. They reunited with their dog and I'm like bawling at my desk. And it's always, but it's even like that one, I think for you makes sense, obviously, because of the dog, like. But I, this was, it wasn't even that long ago, a couple months. Did you see the video of this, this man who his, his kids and his wife gave him glasses so that he could see color? Yes. Oh my God. I watched it and I remember clicking on it and being like, this is going to be really cool. Like halfway through the video, I'm crying. Yeah. God, this is beautiful. I didn't need this at 1 PM when I have a ton of shit to do. But you don't know, like you totally are unaware of how that stuff is going to hit you. Hmm. Ah. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, I cry. Did you ever see Arrival? That was earlier this year. It was. I, like when was Jeremy it? Jeremy Renner I don't, I don't, and. Yeah, and Amy. Yes. What is, is her it? Yeah. Last name. Um, I was on Adam's a plane. 
yeah, I was on a plane by myself and I'd had a couple glasses of wine <laughs> and true. it was dark on the plane and I think I was really, 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 really tired. And I just, at the end of that movie, I just started bawling, just crying my eyes out. And I was making the person next to me so uncomfortable, but I couldn't <laughs> control it. Did you, did you explain, like, did you ever communicate anything with them or was it just you sobbed and they were? I just sobbed. I just cried and cried and cried. And I kind of turned over and I said, I'm sorry, this movie is really sad. <laughs> And you know, they're like, yeah, I've, I've seen that movie. I did not cry like that. Like, <laughs> and it, it is not that sad. There's, there's so many facts. I mean, like you said, you're you're on a plane. It's dark. You were probably tired. You'd had a couple glasses of wine. Like whatever had yeah. happened before that or whatever you had coming up the next week, it all, in those moments, I think all of those things just pile on top of you. And then there's mm -hmm. people like us who cry or there's the people who experience that and they completely steal themselves. Until yeah. they can be in a in a safe area for them and process it alone or with the audience that they need or whatever. I don't know. I, I think I'd prefer to steal myself. <laughs> Just to try and appear composed. You know what would help you steal yourself? What? Uh, an SSRI. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a specific type of antidepressant. And it just um, like voids you of all emotion? What it does is... I've changed my medication so that I'm not on one. I'm on, I'm on different types of uh, antidepressants. An SSRI, uh, like Prozac and Zoloft, in my experience, made it like I, I I didn't ever get chills when I was on Prozac. It was ex I didn't really ever feel the need to cry. You can't you can't orgasm either. <laughs> There's the bright spot. Oh my in God. <laughs> Like is that a is that a side effect of that? Yes. Oh wow. Yes, it's a very well known side effect. Um, like there's it. What it does is it numbs you, like it numbs everything, and puts a dull sheen on everything because it just sort of evens out your brain, and it controls. It it is such a controlling mechanism inside your brain for serotonin. In fact. I'll go ahead and admit this. Uh, if Lita is listening to this, oh God, so help me God. Um, ecstasy. Uh, <laughs> have you ever done I ecstasy? I have not, no. Uh, so I did it twice when I was in Los Angeles and was really, really, really annoyed by all the people who were rolling around me. It's called rolling. Um, who were high. and Because when you're on an SSRI... The, uh, what, what ecstasy does is it floods your brain with serotonin, just floods it. Well, the SSRI controls that and doesn't allow the serotonin to flood your brain. So you did ecstasy at a time in your life when you couldn't even appreciate ecstasy. Exactly. That seems like such a waste. <laughs> wow. See, that's not what I, I want to be able to steal myself for the bad things, but still enjoy the good things. I want the best of both worlds. That's all I mm -hmm. ask. There's nothing wrong with crying. No, it's not that I have a problem with crying. Like, it's not that I'm embarrassed to cry. I just don't want it to be so apparent that I'm losing my shit. I would like it to be <laughs> a little more contained. I, here's the thing, though, is that, again, every man that I know that is close to me 
is a crier. I don't think that I've ever really been close to a man who doesn't cry. It's, it's, where did this come from? I have no idea. I don't idea. know. I have no idea. No, and it, but it, for me, it's not even like, it's not even that I am embarrassed because I am a man and I am crying. It's just as soon as you cry, your emotional state is right there on the surface immediately. Mm-hmm. But if you have the ability to kind of hold that back and, and temper it, at least for a while, you can kind of stay composed. And even if you're not, even if you're absolutely losing your shit in your head, you can kind of stay composed. I just would like to be able to, you know, buy myself five or 10 minutes, something. But it's like a reflex, like something sad or bad happens and that's it. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I cry. This is the thing is that I, I love, I like I get chills very easily with something that excites me or I cry at music all the time. I cry at television shows. <laughs> Everything makes me cry. The beauty of the world makes me cry. But that's just how and you I, process. I, and then that's me too. It like, is how I process. But I, I, I am I'm in I'm loving having it back in my life after since since I don't I mean it, 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 it was a long, long, many, many years that I was on Prozac where I didn't cry. I did not cry. I did not experience like those overwhelming moments where you do get chills and you're like overcome with the magnificence of something when I I didn't have that for years. Well, th- yeah. I mean, I can see from your standpoint, having known what it was like to have that and then be absent of it for so long. But I mm-hmm. think that's what I mean though. Like in your, in that situation, you're absent in both directions for the positive and the negative. And that I would not want that. I'd rather just, outright cry than lose the ability to process outwardly those beautiful moments. Yeah. It's, it wouldn't be worth that sacrifice. And the orgasm thing could totally be a deal breaker. (laughs) I mean, let's just throw that out there. Seriously. It's a big, big, big side effect. Huge side effect. Yeah. But you can't even really be upset about it because you just totally leveled out. It's like you do have to make a decision like, okay, do I want to be sane or, or like some people who are facing that, like, like some like SS, SSRIs are the only thing that works for them. So they have to make a decision. Do I want to remain sane or do I want to have sex? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh wow. And that's one of those decisions you cry over. You know, and maybe it, it, it's, a, it's a common side effect. There may be a few listeners out there who are on an SSRI and, and can orgasm completely fine. You know, it's just a, a different, I don't know. It's different for everyone. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess knowing that we're both, that we're both criers for emotional moments, I guarantee mm-hmm. that we will cry sitting down to put together a living will. I mean, I just, yeah. I feel like it's just bound to happen. Yeah. I think it. I think it is bound to happen. And, well, it depends on who you're with. If you're doing it with someone, or if you're doing it by yourself. You think you'd only cry if you were doing it by yourself? Yeah, I think I would cry if I. I don't know. The whole idea, like, like I like to think about doing it, but I don't know if I actually want to sit down and do it. Right. Yeah, because thinking about it, it is a very practical thing to do. 
but then to actually sit down and do it is kind of to face the own like the reality of your mortality right when you know knock on wood you're decades away from having to actually face that hopefully right <sighs> yeah but it it would be a smart a smart decision well, i don't I know yosemite there's a volcano under yosemite that's about to explode and destroy the earth did you hear about this i did not i mean something this year is bound to destroy the earth i think that's just kind of the direction yeah. we're headed they they said it was closer, it was going to happen sooner rather than later, is what they discovered. And I'm closer to Yosemite than you are, I think. And so, yeah, I'm going first. <laughs> See, I would rather go first. I mean, if we're going to go anyway. Yeah. I think first is best in that one situation, for sure. But then there's no need but for a little. what do they mean little. sooner or later? If we're, That's true. I mean, if everyone's yeah, if dead, we're all yeah. just going to be burned. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what maybe that's what the Mormons meant when we're all going to be burned alive when Jesus comes again. Ha! Is the volcano under Yosemite? Volcano is that where under Jesus Yosemite. Is? Yes. He's living in the volcano. <laughs> I had not. I had honestly not heard of that. I had. Is this like a new thing? I had heard of it. I had heard of it about a year ago, and then I keep seeing it popping up on my Twitter feed about how there's the scientists have just the scientists have discovered that it's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. Well, wait, Yellowstone? Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yellowstone, sorry. A Yellowstone, super Yosemite. Volcano. Yeah, super volcano. Wow. Yellowstone. Yeah, I just pulled it up from the New York Times. A behemoth far more powerful than your average volcano. <laughs> that is... A behemoth, yes. Yes. We are hiding, we are going to hide that article from Lita Armstrong, okay? She's not allowed to see that. <laughs> wow. By the way. More rock, 2,500 times more material than erupted from Mount St. Helens in 1980. Yeah. That'd be a big deal. It's supposed to, like, it's going to destroy the earth is the thing. Wow. Like the whole but earth. they don't know when. They don't know, they don't know when? I mean, I'm not seeing a date. It's, this is a long article, honestly. Yeah. Okay, so really quickly. My neighbor, I posted an Instagram photo yesterday of this horrifying zombie that she has. She's erected it in her front yard. Yeah, that freaked me the hell out in my feet, okay. actually. It's, it's five feet tall. Her entire yard is covered with tombstones and disembodied heads and coffins and zombies. And But that one zombie, like I, every time I see it, like I jump. I think she's standing there. And so I went out and I took a photo of it. And <laughs> it's so terrible. So I startle very easily. You can basically look at me in the face and say, I'm going to scream boo, okay? And I will stand there and you will scream boo and I will freak out. <laughs> you, I, wow. am the, I am so easy to scare and startle, like in the easiest and so was Lita. And she was inside practicing her piano. And I walked up behind her and I zoomed in on the face of that, of that oh, zombie. And I, I reached around. She didn't even know I was standing there. I reached around and showed it, like put my phone in her face. <laughs> she screamed. I have never heard that kid scream so loud. She, oh, my God. And like she came four feet off the piano bench and she was... <laughs> 
I'm terrible. Oh my God, I'm so terrible. I'm terrible. She was so freaked out. But it was That's awesome though. But it was so fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. If that's if that's how you treat your oldest, I'd say a living will is probably in your best interest. <laughs> you know, you don't want it left up to her. She's been like, Oh yeah. I need to make all she the She thinks she's gonna be dumped in the Mississippi. I got another thing coming, Mom. It's called the that's toilet. Right. <laughs> that's right going to be the most mormon funeral ever god yeah that thing is freaky though it was i would not want to look out and see that no and marlo keeps saying we need halloween decorations mom come on and i'm like marlo this is my least favorite holiday of the year do you understand yeah, i hate it <sighs> yep yeah i think we've talked about that we both despise it yeah you could oh. You should see if you could move it. Just ask your neighbor if you could move it in front of a window <laughs> on your house. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. I need to ask her after Halloween is over if I can borrow it and, like, put it in Lita's room when she comes home from tuck school. It, tuck it under her, <laughs> under her covers. Oh, man. That would, if, you, if you do that, please record it. God, that would be so, great. So terrible. So terrible. This is supposed to be an episode about funerals, and now we're talking about torturing my child. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did We did kind of derail there. It was living well. So I guess, are you going to do it? Are you going to get one? I mean, did this, did the last weekend's funeral kind of push you far enough in that direction that you're actually going to consider it, or you think you're not quite ready Yeah, well, that? it's like, um, yeah, I think, I, I think, yeah. It, it was such a stark... I, I mean, he's Greek, and I'm sure he's probably fine with the fact that there was no one to stand up and talk about him. And, you know, no one stood up and remembered him for what he was. And there was a lot written about him, for sure. But what I want for, like, my mom, like, I, I want, again, I, I want to stand up. I want people to, to celebrate her life, to celebrate who she is and what she represents and what she did and what she accomplished for the people in her life. I guess I I want that done in a certain way when I'm gone. And standing there at that funeral that was entirely in Greek, I realized, oh, well, if I were to go right now, it would happen in a Mormon church. Right. And all of my friends would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. It doesn't seem right. All of my friends would be like, we have to go to a fucking Mormon church to remember Heather? No. Well, and I think that's a lot of times, I mean, obviously the living will is there. So you kind of have a say, so you can have everything proceed as you wish. But a lot of that stuff is there too for everyone else. Right. I mean, you know, at this Greek service, like, yeah, he he didn't care that no one said anything. And I'm sure if, if everyone there is used to these formal services, they're they're accustomed to that. But I think, for the people who who are still alive, who, who are facing that loss, it's helpful to be able to talk, to share stories, to stand up and say something. Yeah. So I think to build that in, to build in that option is really important for everyone else. Yeah. At least to give the option. You know, you don't have to require it, but the option is there. You should do it. <laughs> I should write my own prayer. There you go. Oh, God, please do that. I should do that that my mom has to say if I go before my mom. 
That would be terrible. This is, what are we talking about? This is awful. <laughs> oh my God. Ugh. Well, I, I do though. I want to jump back because you went and you didn't even really know him. So you went with a friend. Yeah. You said? Yeah, I went with a friend. Every time funerals come up in my life or or like in that situation, if it's if it's a friend and there's a funeral, I always think, and I'll have to remember to link to this when we when we post this episode, but there was something on NPR back in 2005 um, called Always Go to the Funeral. And my dad sent it to me at one point, and it's it's a pretty short read. I think you might even be able to listen to it. Um, and I, I think it's written by a woman, and she's talking about how that was sort of her dad's mantra. Like, you, you always go. It's never convenient. It's never something you want to do, but that's not the point, that you always go. And, I mean, in, in your case, you, you didn't even know the person, but you went with someone like you you went to support someone else you right. made time to go to the funeral and it's it's a really interesting read and perspective on just the importance of doing that yeah and i know it's not directly related to to living wills but i think you know it says a lot when people make the time to go even if you just stop in even if you're just there to support someone else i think it it says a lot it shows a lot there was a viewing the night before the funeral uh, it was supposed to go from six to nine. Um, I had to go to a concert. I had to be there. I knew the, that the band was taking the stage at nine o'clock. We got in line at six and by 830 had moved about 20 feet. Oh, geez. There were that many people in line. So we waited for two and a half hours and didn't even get to see, didn't even get into the building. And apparently the people like... It went. It went almost till midnight. The whole viewing. That's how. Until midnight. Till yeah. That's how many people were there to see him. Yeah. That's how wow. important he was. That's intense. Yeah, that's really intense. The family apparently, like the family, shook hands with every single person in line and talked to every single person in line. That's really. In, that's really intense on the family too. Oh yeah. Yeah. To go through that. I mean, I think intense in a, in both a hard way and a good way. Mm-hmm. And that is our episode on funerals. Yeah, funerals and living wills. Yes. Not exactly uplifting, but something to consider. And I think definitely something to consider when you have kids. I mean, something to consider always, but when you have kids to make that set up. It's also something to consider if you are not of the same religious faith as the rest of your family. Very good point, yes. And if it matters to you. It matters to me. Right. Um, we'd love to hear your take on any of what we've talked about today, including the orgasming, if um, you know I had to go there. <clears throat> uh, we, I mean, we did talk about it. We did so. talk about it. Um, and if you, do you have a living will? Um, what has been your experience with funerals and loss and grief and sorrow? Please send us your thoughts to stories at manicramblings.com. And you can find us online at Manic Ramblings on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, always go to the funeral. Always go to the funeral. Many thanks to Tan Lines for the soundtrack, to Lisa Congdon for the cover art, and to Ryan Coomer for his expertise with the editing stuff.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 